The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist with a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture. And today I have my good friend and fellow uh, Food and Society Policy Fellow, Roger Doiron, who is really the, I would say, the main mastermind behind Michelle Obama's White House Garden, as well as the founder of Kitchen Gardeners International. Welcome, Roger. Hi, everyone. It's great to be here. Thank you. Um, I wanted to have you on for many reasons. Uh, one, certainly to recognize your wonderful work and what's been going on with the White House Garden, but also be prior to that, uh, your work with Friends of the Earth in the European office um, and your work with international food agencies really makes me think about how we can solve the world hunger problem, and I sense that you might have some feelings about that. And then, of course, your new campaign this July 4th, which is all about Food Independence Day. And I love this concept because of what Abraham Lincoln said about people not being oppressed when they have the skill to produce their own food. So how did you get started with Kitchen Gardeners International, first of all? Well, Kitchen Gardeners International was an idea that I was starting to kick around a little bit while I was still living in Europe. Um, my, my story about my European years was that I was working for Friends of the Earth during the week with Friends of the Earth, for people who don't know it. It's an international environmental um, nonprofit group. And we were doing a lot of the things that environmental groups do in terms of um, trying to shout from the rooftops about how we needed action on issues such as climate change and energy policy. Um, and on the weekend, I was spending many of my weekends out in the Belgian countryside uh, learning how to garden and learning how to cook uh, mainly from my Belgian mother-in-law. And kitchen gardeners, I kind of look as a sort of hybrid cross between those two efforts. That we're doing some environmental work and we're doing some advocacy work. But we're also really very focused on just trying to get people out, uh, scratching at the earth and producing some of their own food and uh, shortening the distance from field to fork and plot to plate by actually doing some of the stuff on their own. Um, so it was really that, that marrying, I think, of those two areas of interest. So did you grow up with a garden, or was this a new revelation when, while you were in Belgium? It was a little bit of both. I did grow up uh, with a garden. My parents always did keep a garden, which I sometimes refer to as a, a tomato and puke garden. It was really this classic northeastern garden, which is this explosion of produce for the months of July and August, but nothing much before then, and unfortunately nothing much after then. And what I learned, the kind of epiphany, a revelation I had while living in Europe, was that there was this other way of, of gardening, and I do kind of think of it as a sort of European approach, which is the kitchen garden, which is more of a, a year-round, four-season approach to the garden, trying to get things in as early as possible and trying to get also as late a finish as possible to the growing season and also getting things planted on a, on a regular basis. Uh, the the American, or I think at least the Northeastern approach to the garden, is to try to get it in around Memorial Day weekend 
and um, it's pretty much done producing sometime in September, and you just have this amazing bounty of crops that do come in. But the, the European approach is, a, approach is a bit more uh, slow and steady. It's trying to make sure you're, you're planting something pretty much every week so that you can also be getting harvest every week. Uh, so to answer your question, it was really a little bit of both. It was I did have the, the good fortune of having some exposure to these things as a child and had a, um, a mother who was a, a good home cook and continues to be a good home cook. But I saw that there was a way to sort of push the envelope a little bit um, from the time that I spent in Europe. Now, I, I need to mention something here because uh, one of the arguments we always hear about home gardening as well, you know, you, you know, you can't do that all year long. This isn't California. And I just want to mention that you live in Maine, and the quantity of produce that you are able to provide for your family is quite remarkable. So how big is your personal garden, and about how much produce do you harvest from that garden? Well, we're in a suburban area in Maine. We're in a town called Scarborough, which is just south of Portland, which is our big city um, with all of its uh, 70,000 people. And um, we're on a, a third of an acre house lot. Um, and I should also mention that I've got a few uh, little boys that we're trying to keep occupied. So um, if you can picture our house and our garden, it's actually a relatively small percentage of, of the total house lot because we want to make sure that our boys have a little whistle ball field to play in, in our backyard. So the amount of uh, area under cultivation is about 1,500 square feet. Um, so it's not enormous. It does seem a little bit large by most people's standards these days because they're used to just seeing a few tomato plants on a patio, I think. Um, but it's, uh, it's not a, a huge, huge plot. But at the same time, as you mentioned, you can get a lot out of um, even a small space and even a much smaller space than ours. And my wife and I had this idea. Actually, I should give credit where credit is due. My wife had this idea last year, which was uh, she said, let's try to keep track of everything that comes out of our garden. And I have to say that I was not as enthusiastic as I perhaps should have been when she first came up with this idea because I was picturing doing the work of gardening, and there is definitely some work involved. And then adding to that work in, in terms of having to weigh every leaf of lettuce and every strawberry and every head of broccoli that came out of the garden. And I, I basically said to her, are you sure that we want to do this? <laughs> right. Um, and she said, well, I think it's really important. Um, and, and she didn't have to twist my arm because she she was basically seeing the, the future a lot more clearly than I was in terms of where the country would be and where the world would be in terms of trying to... Uh, tighten our belts a little bit and, you know, make, make family budgets go a little bit further. And so uh, we, we did keep this project going throughout the entire growing season last year. And what we found was that we were able to produce about $2,200 worth of organic fruits and vegetables from, from our backyard. And um, we also weighed the, the crop, and I think it came to about 900 pounds or so. So you can get a lot of food out of a suburban yard, and it's just really meant to get people thinking in a new way about whatever space they have available to themselves. Well, that's amazing, Roger. I had seen a statistic that said $50 worth of seed produced $1,200 worth of produce, but uh, $2,200 worth of organic fruits and vegetables. So when people say, you know, that, that these foods are healthy healthy, 
but they're not affordable. I really think this is a way for people to afford the kinds of foods that we all know are good for us and good for our children. I agree, and that was really my starting point with, with starting up Kitchen Gardeners International. I was tuned into the local food movement, but I was also aware that in terms of access, only a small percentage of the population was enjoying some of these local foods. and In many cases, it was people living in cities, uh, people who had more income um, who were able to shop at the, the farmer's market or able to go to the, the best restaurants in town that were serving these delicious local foods. And I guess I, uh, on a good day, I think of myself as a sort of uh, a local foods populist, <laughs> trying to make these foods more accessible to, to all kinds of people. Absolutely. It's really a food justice issue. Um, let me ask you now about the White House Garden. Um, I know this was an idea that you had, and you ran with it, and you successfully used social marketing strategies, and now we have, again, a garden on the White House lawn setting an example for American citizens to be more independent, produce more of our own food, make it affordable, and my gosh, what a model there on the White House lawn. And I know you've received many kudos for this. You received a Heart of Green Award. You were, um, your idea was voted the grand prize winner of the On Day One contest, which was sponsored by the United Nations Foundation. Uh, you've received tremendous uh, national recognition for your work, and justly so. But tell me a little bit how you got this going well, it started, I think, uh, like like what gardeners do is they start with something very, very small, which is a seed, and they, they plant it and they hope it lands on fertile ground. And I think that's basically what happened in this case. Um, I was a real amateur uh, historian in terms of knowing the very basics about the White House grounds and how they had been used, um, perhaps misused in the past. And so I knew that it wasn't such a, a stretch, this idea of trying to get a garden planted, a food garden or a kitchen garden planted at the White House, because it had been done before. In fact, it was one of the first things that John Adams did when he moved into the White House as its first resident in 1800. So I knew that history was sort of on my side and on our side. Um, and I was also a sort of an amateur historian of past efforts to, to make this happen. I'm, of course, like so many people in the local foods movement, uh, a big fan of Alice Waters and her work, um, and I knew that she had called for a garden back in the 1990s when President Clinton was in office. I just tried to take a look to find out you know, what what was um, going on at the time that made that not happen, or what was it about that particular pitch that maybe didn't work, and what could I try to do a little bit differently. And um, what I tried to do was really take something very small and, and make it into something bigger by um, getting more people involved. I think uh, I'm not a, a household name by any stretch of the imagination, so people weren't going to sign on simply because Roger said that they should sign on. But I just tried to appeal to people's uh, sense of reason and certainly uh, couch it all in terms of our history, um, but also make it very much about the future, that this is something that makes sense um, for us and for our children. And we did uh, manage to just kind of catch fire on the Internet by putting the idea up in the right way at the right time in the right places and we used uh, social networking tools and we put together a couple of Q 
cute little videos that sort of went viral, I think as, as viral as a gardening video can go, and we just continue to build on our successes as we have them. And now we have a first lady who is truly um, leading the nation, and now we're getting gardens started everywhere. I'm thrilled. Your next campaign, or your latest and newest campaign, is this July 4th, Savor Your Independence with Food Independence Day. And um, I know you can, and I want to just put a plug in for foodindependenceday.org as well as kitchengardeners.org to learn more about this work and this effort. I went on this morning and I signed up very quickly and easily to encourage our governor here in, in my state of Missouri to to have more local foods served on July 4th. Many of us will be having picnics all across the country. Um, tell me how this idea got planted. Well, here, um, the idea was really just to, I think, continue the momentum that we had built up with the, the, the White House effort and to sort of reach out to some other first families. And because it's not um, perhaps the right time for some people to be starting gardens, we thought, well, let's show off, you know, what, what gardens and, and farms do best in terms of let's really put the emphasis on the food now. Um, and since the, the July 4th uh, holiday really is about the food for a lot of people, it's really a wonderful time to be enjoying um, what our, our local farms and gardens um, are producing. It just seemed like a natural. And um, once again, we're not trying to really be crazy here. We're just trying to say, uh, you're going to be getting your, your friends and loved ones and family members together anyway that day. Let's try to, to do something a little bit um, more ambitious maybe than we've done in the past um, and make some connections that perhaps we haven't made before, um, get some food sourced locally from, from farmers we, we know or perhaps we ought to know. And, and I think that's really what this is about is making some of those connections uh, to people in our communities who are producing these wonderful foods. You know, I have the Abraham Lincoln quote in front of me where he talks about the value of uh, deriving a comfortable subsistence from the smallest area of soil. And he says, no community whose every member possesses this art can ever be the victim of oppression of any of its forms. And such community will be alike independent of crowned kings, money kings, and land kings. And I think that, you know, going back to our discussion that we touched on a little earlier about feeding our nation, feeding the world, and promoting the success, the economic success of rural communities, uh, you really did capture a very key point with Independence Day, and that it is so tightly linked to the ability to produce our own food. And when we start thinking about, you know, where does our food come from, and who produced it, under what conditions, you know, that's become my mantra. But when you think, well, if we can't feed our population, then we become vulnerable and dependent upon those who can. I completely agree, and that's uh, really the my life's work, I think, is to make people more self-reliant. Uh, that doesn't mean this kind of new generation of, of homesteaders that are completely cut off from the world, because I think we're, we're certainly going to be living in a very different world than our, than our grandparents did. Uh, but for those things that we can do and those things that we can produce ourselves, you know, we should be doing that. There's something rather absurd when you look at some of the statistics that are out there in terms of um, countries or states that are 
know, producing X quantities of, of carrots, and um, all those carrots are, or most of those carrots are being uh, shipped out, and, and at the same time they're importing X amount of carrots. There's something kind of weird about that. Um, we need to be thinking about what we can do and what we can do well, and I'm not talking about a world that is completely uh, removed of some of those things that we all enjoy from time to time, like a nice cup of coffee or, or uh, some good chocolate. I've, from Belgium, I might add. Well, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that was one of the, the, the lasting uh, impacts of my time in Belgium was just this, I've developed a lifelong relationship now with chocolate that I don't think I had before leaving <laughs> right. to <go> to Europe. <laughs> but, you know what, as you know, as a good food salute, you can, there's chocolate and there's chocolate and there's coffee and there's coffee. That's right. And, to be asking our question, asking better questions about some of those things that um, are really important to us, and um, it's not that we have to necessarily say no to all kinds of things, but we need to just ask better questions about how they were produced, who produced them, what were the conditions in which they were produced, and we're going to find that we have quite a few good choices out there. Absolutely, and using our food dollars, you know, to vote. And using our voices to ask for what we want and feeling more connected to our, uh, to our government. You know, I, I think this truly is about democracy. And when we, if we live in the United States, I think part of our responsibility in a democracy is to be involved. And I know I sent Michelle Obama a little thank you note, um, specifically after she received, um, a letter from the Mid-America Crop Life Association, which, um, I guess, you know, I would describe as a front group for um, large biotech and, and pesticide industries where they reminded her about the importance of, and I love this term, uh, crop protection, which is um, kind of the propaganda word for pesticides. But I was disturbed that she had received a letter from the Mid-America Crop Life Association saying that um, you know we needed pesticides and uh, I, I wrote her a letter and I said, thank you for making this an organic garden. And I think that um, certainly, you know, with your work through the Friends of the Earth, I've, I've read a lot of their materials. And, you know, they ask really good questions about what is our responsibility to future generations? Can we produce food organically? Is that the way to feed the world? We're told that we can't feed the world with organic gardening, and yet... I believe the Food and Agriculture Organization came out with a paper recently saying, yes, indeed, we can. Um, you know, moving towards smaller scale uh, operations where you've got more local independence. Um, tell me a little bit about some of your observations in your work internationally and maybe touching on some of these points that I, that I mentioned. Well, we're still developing our, our portfolio of activities that um, are happening outside the U.S. and um, we're encountering some, some of the, the same problems that I think other organizations encounter in that uh, as an organization that is global in scope, we're, we're still finding that we're limited in our ability to reach a lot of people and organizations abroad simply because they simply don't have access to the, to the Internet and to some of the information that um, has just become part and parcel of our everyday life here in the United States. But um, we are quite hopeful in, in the sense that there really is an international movement um, out there now uh, that is questioning 
some of the, the propaganda that you mentioned about um, how we're going to manage to feed the world, and um, perhaps more importantly, they're really proposing alternatives. And uh, I think that's really what it comes down to, is there needs to be a, a real free market of information so that people can um, make some of their own judgments about really what is best for, for themselves, for their families, uh, for their communities, and that there can be some solidarity. Um, and that's certainly what we're trying to do, and we're, uh, we're really excited about working um, with some locally-based community groups in different parts of the world. Uh, we did a project last year with uh, a group of organic farmers in Kenya to get a number of uh, school gardens planted there and to get a number of organic farmers uh, trained in such a way that they could be also teaching gardening to, to their own neighbors. Um, and we're also working with a, a couple of groups now in India. I'm really excited about a new project that we're going to be working on there to um, help uh, a number of uh, former prostitutes become both economically self-reliant but also self-reliant in terms of their food by getting some gardens planted um, that they're going to be tending. Um, so there's a whole world of, of need out there, but there's also a world of opportunity, and we're, we're trying to, uh, to make some connections that aren't being made right now in such a way that um, kind of the, I, I tend to divide the world up into the, the haves and have-nots have in terms of gardening. There are people who have information, the people who have funds, and then there are people who are looking for those things. And we're trying to uh, serve as a bit of a channel for, for that flow. Well, I think it's clear that you're making a contribution to saving the world. You know, it's almost like one garden at a time. Um, you're you're feeding the world, and you're helping people to become independent. Now, I want to get back to the Kitchen Gardeners International. Um, your website is in, incredibly informative. Um, I searched for uh, information on container gardening. I was looking at some specifics on growing specific vegetables. I know you also write for Mother Earth News, and you've done some great articles. I think your most recent one was on strawberries. Um, what can people expect um, when they go to Kitchen Gardeners International, and how can they get involved? Well, thanks very much for asking that, Wanda. Um, I think they can expect a couple of things. We want to make sure that we're really providing quality information about uh, uh, planting a garden, maintaining a garden, but also kind of what comes after that, um, because it's all well and good to tell people to plant uh, chard and kale, but they also need to have some ideas for how they're going to be using it afterwards. So we want to make sure that we're providing relevant and quality information to people about those things. But I guess I would also hope that they would come to kitchen gardeners expecting um, community and, and solidarity, and that's a little bit tricky to do with an organization that's uh, you know, global in scope, but we're trying to, once again, use the Internet and use social networking tools uh, to reduce some of that distance between people. And we do have a very vibrant uh, online community of people um, that are getting to know each other. They're exchanging information. They're uploading videos. Um, they're forming virtual groups of their own, whether it's for an issue. We have, for example, a, a group of people who are really pumped up about uh, keeping chickens in their backyards. Um, you might say to yourself, well, that's not exactly kitchen gardening, but you know, we're trying to uh, define kitchen gardening in a pretty broad sense. Um, for, for me, it's really about a lifestyle. It's not simply something you fit into a couple of minutes um, per week. It's really something where you're 
We're talking about making a lifestyle change, but a very pleasant change. And um, there are people who are coming at that issue from many different angles and from many different places and climates, and we're just trying to sort of mix it all together in, in a bit of a stew and, and, um, and nourish as many people as we possibly can with it all. Well, I can see maybe some regional picnics forming around the country this fall, or at least I would hope so, Kitchen Gardeners International United. Um, let me ask you, because our time is, is winding down, unfortunately, um, is there anything that I, uh, you wish I would have asked you, or is there any last uh, message that you'd like to give our listeners? Well, just to check out uh, kitchengardeners.org and get involved also in foodindependencedday.org. Um, people can put a little flag up on the map saying that they're going to be sourcing the ingredients of their July 4th meal locally. Um, just these little things really do add up when a number of people decide they're going to pitch in and, and be part of something. So just figure out a way to get involved. You know, not, it doesn't have to be with kitchen gardeners. It can be with a local organization in their area that's doing some of this work. But it, it all adds up and it all counts. Well, I want to personally thank you not only for being with me today, um, but also with share, for sharing with our listeners this wonderful information that is so heartwarming. And I wish you a very happy Food Independence Day. You too, Melinda. All the best to you and yours. Thanks. And thanks to our listeners for joining us. Food Sleuth Radio is produced at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri.